The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host up in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls, how are you on this Thursday night? I'm doing just dapper there, Tyler. <laughs> Gee golly whiz, I'm just happy to be here. Only one of us is, coach, is an assistant coach on a top 10 team in the country, Smalls. Things are going well for you. Yeah, you just, you know, you show up, you don't do any of the work, and you just reap all the benefits. That's uh, pretty much what happened here. Uh, now I'm excited. I'm excited for our players, and it's got to finish strong this last month, coach speak. Smalls, let's talk about your game on Saturday. Let's your your this most recent game. You go to Caldwell, leading the uh, CAC North. I think if I'm smart about D two, it's the North and South, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, they're third in the CAC North. Now, now they are right. They were like tied. Yeah, for first. they were probably hunting for second or first at the time. I agree. Yes. You guys play. I watched this game on a stream. It was unbelievable. Caldwell, tremendous. Uh, stream quality it was it was amazing really they had announcers the score bug didn't even have the time on it it was it was hard to know what was going on but I watched the game uh I'm just gonna throw it out there Smalls I'm sure you'll coach speak it but you guys played very bad in the first half like not into it and somehow some way find a way to tie it at the end of regulation and win in overtime and uh I felt good for you it felt like something that a really good team does is find a way to win a game on the road when they didn't play well yeah, Caldwell's a good team, and they're <clears throat> like most teams in college basketball or you know whatever sport you go to. They're a better team at home. Uh, they're very physical, and uh, oh yeah, that's that's what they kind of did. We knew they were going to come out and be physical and be tough, and they did not shy away from doing that. They were uh, pushing us underneath the basket, going for off- offensive rebounds. I think you're right. I think there was a little bit of a glaze in the beginning of the game, but I think that credit all goes to Caldwell coming out ready to play. And luckily, we just hung in the game. I mean, we hung in it first half even, hung around, hung around, hung around. Uh, enough time there to make a play and honestly get pretty lucky. Uh, you talk about teams who should win a game. I don't really believe in that. The team that wins should have won the game. But, you know, <clears throat> Caldwell Played their asses off and definitely could have won that game if not for a very lucky shot to force it to OT. Yeah, I mean, you guys down 10, I want to say, with like slightly over five minutes left, maybe like 502 when you guys were down 10. Might have even been less than five minutes. Might have been like 450 or something. And you come back and force overtime. DeAndre Bourne just makes a crazy shot going left, like pulls up and then going back to the rim. Like I I couldn't believe you made it, especially because you guys had shot it very poorly. But like you said, I think just in general, like, you guys stayed in it. It would have been, I think, somewhat easy to quit on the road and just be like, well, we're down 10 with five minutes to go. Like, we can't make a play. You hadn't gotten a ton of stops up at that point, hadn't made a ton of threes. Had a guy coming off the bench and bang two, two huge threes in the second half with, like, four or five minutes to go. And I think, like, that's, you know, we don't talk about it a, a ton, and we, we joke about Jefferson basketball and, and everything. But I think, like, winning a game like that has to make you feel good about potentially, you know, keeping this going and, and, and maybe making a run because like those are the types of tournament atmosphere games that you got to find a way to, to claw your way through. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head there. Uh, <clears throat> I think you'd like to believe that that helps your team in the long run playing in a game where you're coming from behind, where you don't give up and you figure out a way to come back. I mean, it definitely small as it definitely helps you. 
it definitely helps you just having been in that situation, you know, because any, any game you win, I don't care. I, a lot of people believe in like more, like moral victories and losses. If you win, that's a good thing for sure. I, I think you're right. I, I had this conversation with somebody else the other day. I won't name drop, uh, you know, I like to name drop a little bit. This was a division one uh, coach. Jim Beheim, <laughs> Bill Self. It was me, Jim Beheim, Bill Self, and John Calipari. We were in a room. But I, I mentioned that about moral victories that I think coaches, you know, they, they really try to say like, hey, we played really well, like we had a chance. And, and I, I agree. There are times when you can look at losses and you can say like, hey, we did as much as we could. But I also think when you do that, sometimes it doesn't allow you to really look at the game and be like, OK, well, maybe we could have done some stuff differently. Like you don't want to get complacent and say like, hey, that team was better than us and we played well and we almost won. And that's good. Like, yeah, you want to recognize positives. But I, I agree with you, Smalls. Like I would say that it's not a good thing to say like, man, well, it's really good we were in one of those games because, yeah, it is good, but at the end of the day, like, you want to just win those games. It doesn't matter how. You don't want to have to come back from down 10 with five minutes to go. So I, I think I get that's what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's good for our senior. Like, we're a senior-laden team, four seniors, and uh, that's a big step forward. And this is the last chance to do something. So hopefully we continue to win and, uh, you know, put us, ourselves in the best position to advance, not only win the conference championship, but ultimately advance in the tournament. And that's all you can do. Every other game, you know, one game series in the tournament, one game series in conference playoffs. Like you just hope you prepare the best and you hope you play well. That's about it. You know, and as long as you guys keep winning, you know, you're in, you're in a position to host a regional, which is the best position you can put yourself in where you get to play the first few rounds of games on your home court and you can't really you know in division three and division two that's kind of the way it works and you know if you put yourself in that position Bridgeport's tough you already beat them at home but they their rolling stack is really good they took you one beat you guys in overtime like you know it's just got to keep winning and I think like that's what you guys are doing right now and and I wanted to point that out because like I said we haven't really dove into your season and I don't know how many people that listen know how good you guys have played recently just in terms of I mean Smalls you've got to be on what a 10 game winning streak 11 game winning streak yeah something like I this is it's probably bad that I don't know that I'm and that's, no, that's you don't care about the record you just care about it, the, it, yeah what, but that's not even like coach speak like I know some people who definitely know like I literally I, I I'll bet it's somewhere around 12 um I'm thinking of like what what our record was when we lost to St. A's up there but it's probably somewhere around there. Uh, point is, we, we're just on a streak right now. We're winning games. That's about it. I guess the real question that everyone wants to know, though, is that did that overtime win, uh, were you able to watch the Super Bowl, and then did you have to get up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 to get to uh-huh. practice, or were you able to get that uh-huh. practice moved? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the way back, obviously, you know, a couple of our seniors – yeah, you know, a little banged up, playing a lot of minutes here down the stretch. Yeah, your point guard plays like 42 minutes a game, and games are only 40 minutes long. Yeah, they brought it up on the bus to uh, one of our coaches and just said, hey, like, could we ask coach to move that or to move that practice or just can we not have practice on Monday so we have two days off here? We don't have a game till Saturday. And Coach McGee, you know, and this is why coach is really good when he – when you give him like a good advice and you can explain it clearly and explain the benefits, he was like, absolutely. I think we should have, we should take that day, let them rest and then come back, make sure they get in the gym and shoot a little bit, but we're going to have four days to prepare here anyway. And uh, yeah, so point is we got off, um, watched the Super Bowl, didn't have to get up 
at like 4 a.m. Which didn't was, have to didn't have to eat a wedge salad because you didn't have to keep it light because you didn't have uh, to go yeah. to sleep. I yeah. had some wings. I went to PJ Willihan's. Uh, that's a little. It's a great wing spot. Uh, there's a new one out in Edgemont by the movie theater. You can you know double up. You can go to PJ Willihan's, get a nice brewski, little wings, then hit a movie by yourself, which is one of the great things to do in life if you haven't tried that um, because no one can bother you. So, well, PJ Willihan's action. What did you do for the Super See, I don't even know. I was in a daze, so what did you do for the Super Bowl? We went to our friend's house. Uh, we picked up some carryout, a place called San Anejo here in Nashville, real, real – uh, upscale oh bougie mexican place really good i made a pie no big deal chocolate peanut butter pie oreo cookie crust <laughs> took me about 20 minutes to make saw it on instagram basically a foodie so we went there uh they don't really care about sports the the, the guy who's a good friend of mine is a is a patriots fan but uh he's not a huge football guy but he, he does like to hear about you know sort of what i do on online <laughs> he likes to hear about some gambling and he likes football and he's into it and his wife is real into commercials as is my wife and so what I do small is to kind of bring everybody together. I like watching with them because they don't ask stupid questions, right? They're not trying to talk through the game. So you can watch the game however you want, but they just want to watch commercials, which I respect. It's totally fine. So they don't talk during the game or they don't ask dumb questions. I don't talk and ask dumb questions during the commercials. But I bring a prop sheet over, you know, 25 questions. We all fill them out and then we play them throughout the game. And it kind of, you know, it gets everybody involved and we see who wins and no money at stake, but bragging rights. I got last place. So, uh, you know, my football knowledge not very good, but I thought it was a good game. It's fun. I, I was happy for Andy Reid. thought Pat Mahomes was uh, as bad as I've ever seen him for the first three quarters, and it didn't matter because when the time came to make plays, he made plays. And I don't know if it was like a great Super Bowl. I, I don't think it was better than like New England and the Eagles. Like just in terms of entertainment value, it definitely wasn't better. Obviously, the outcome didn't matter as much to, to you, but don't think it was better than like Pat's Falcons. But I thought it was a good game. I thought it was a fun game. It seemed like it went really fast to me, Smalls. Like, it felt like the game moved really quick. I totally agree. I thought it was it was over, and I was like, oh, does, isn't this Super Bowl, like, it usually feels like it ends at, like, midnight. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to go to bed. But uh, <laughs> I felt like it was really quick. Um, yeah, like you said, it was a good game. It wasn't anything special, though. Yeah, I don't think it's, like... I don't think it like, you know, 25 years from now, nobody's going to say like, oh man, do you remember the last five minutes of Super Bowl 54, which, or Super Bowl 53, whatever it was. And maybe, I mean, maybe it was 54, but. I think it was 54. People might say that, but, and it might just be the, where were you when Pat Mahomes won his first Super Bowl? Because I mean, I think that's kind of the big deal. Because he's going to win six. I don't know if he's going to win six. He's going to win six. Man, I hope that, that was the one thing I thought was pretty cool. Smalls is like, Andy Reid looked so happy and like so overjoyed and happy for his team. And like, it's, you know, I I like, I don't mind the Patriots, right? I don't care, but it is somewhat stupid now to see Bill Belichick and Nick Saban does it too. But it's like watching like coach O and like Andy Reid win the Super Bowl and seeing how much it meant to them instead of watching like Saban and, and and Belichick be like, Oh yeah, well we got to watch film of our week one opponent next year, you know, in 25 minutes. I thought that part was cool, Smalls. I really appreciated that. And that was like, because I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. Because, you know, it's, he's one of the best football coaches ever. And I'm glad he got a Super Bowl ring. So now, you know, it, I don't think it should validate him, but we know that it does. Yeah, exactly. And, and I thought it was cool. Like Brian Dawkins and like Donovan McNabb and guys that played for the Eagles, like they were clearly super happy for Andy. And so like that part to me is, you know, you want your players to root for you at your next stop, I think. That shows that you're a pretty good coach. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the truth. Uh, we should introduce our guest, sorry to Trevor, but Trevor Johnson, the head coach of the Buena Vista Beavers Smalls, 
They are in the American Rivers Conference. Pretty good conference, actually, out uh, Iowa and Nebraska. And uh, Trevor played in the conference, or he played for Nebraska Wesleyan, who's in the conference, but they were NAIA when he played, and then they moved to Division Three when he coached there, coached at Johns Hopkins for a year. And this is actually his first year at Buena Vista. And, you know, Smalls, you and I knew nothing about Buena Vista before this interview, but it's very interesting, kind of like when we had Abe Waldelassi on, to hear about somebody going back to a conference that they're familiar with to take an opportunity to be a head coach. And I thought, you know, we are interviewing him right coming off a three-game losing streak or four-game lose three-game losing streak which he has not had in his career until now and so I thought it was a really interesting time to get him because he's in the thick of conference play trying to figure it out but it's his first year as a head coach yeah that's a (laughs) I mean that's exactly how it goes uh you're just trying to figure it out and piece things together but kind of take all that information that you've learned and then you've gone through and put it all into a year but not overload your players. There's a delicate balance there, and I like how we jump into that, uh, you know, with Trevor. Yeah, and like I said, this was this was one of the first – I don't know if this was the first school, but this was one when, when Trevor was suggested to us when I knew of Trevor because I had seen that he had gotten this job on Hoop Dirt. Shout out Adam Nelson over the summer. But I had no idea where Buena Vista University was, no idea what conference they were in, no clue if they were Division Three. So I think, like, these types of things where we can kind of expand our horizons about – you know, what makes guys tick and what makes them want to take a job like this where, you know, you're going from the East Coast. I, I thought that was pretty interesting, Smalls, but I won't lie and pretend like I knew a whole lot about Buena Vista before uh, Tuesday when I started to do prep for the show. Yeah, Buena Vista, I mean, it sounds, this is no offense to anybody, but that sounds like a a Florida retirement community. That probably is a Florida could, retirement community. probably is. It probably is a little shuffleboard action. You know, you're getting a little mocktail going. Hey, Susie, the 77-year-old looker's over there, and you throw a nice shuffleboard her way. Yeah. No, that's what it sounds like, but it is great to expand our horizons. Like you said, I didn't know about the university. I'm actually learning a lot more about the conference, uh, you know, the teams within it, the coaches within it. And I think that's a really cool part because – I don't think I do spend enough time looking at Division Three and Division Two basketball, even on the West and Midwest, uh, that I should. And it's different kind of players, different kind of basketball. It's not different kind of basketball, but this is what I'm talking about when we go back to the Abe interview. Lots of good talent out there. Yeah, it, it is like that, Smalls. And like even in Division Two, it's like you got UC San Diego that's all out there on the West Coast that people don't really know about until the tournament starts. Like, and same with D3. We, we talk about this all the time. Like, the people that interact on the East Coast, like, they don't really know what's going on in the West, Midwest or West Coast because you don't play those teams. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's fun. This one is in uh, – Buena Vista is in Storm Lake, Iowa, if anyone wants to Google that and, and check out what's going on out there. But I will uh, – we'll throw it over to the interview. We've gone a little bit long. But uh, Smalls, also, it's good for you to learn about other Division threes and Division twos because you're going to be hot, baby. Like, top ten in the country, like – Maybe ADs are calling Chris Angeles at the end of the year. I don't know. We got to see what's nah. going on at Jefferson. Definitely not. Yeah, maybe not. We'll see. But uh, maybe for maybe for food recommendations and a little city review action. But that's that's true. It. They want that for sure. Uh, but as always, if you like what you hear, please do uh, leave us a rating, leave us five stars, write a review, pushes us up the ranks. We really appreciate that. You can reach out to us at Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Like I said, if you like what you hear, drop us a line, drop us suggestions. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, for everyone who listens, we appreciate it and enjoy this week's interview with Trevor Johnson, the head coach of the Buena Vista Beavers.
We are pleased to be joined by Trevor Johnson, the head coach of the Buena, Buena Vista Beavers out of the American Rivers Conference. Trevor, we appreciate you joining us. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I appreciate you guys having me. Now, we're excited. Uh, I told Smalls we weren't 100% sure where Buena Vista was before when your name got dropped to us. As you're probably, you, you probably get that a lot, I would guess. Yeah, you're not the first person to, to not know where Storm Lake, Iowa is. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of hidden up in the middle of nowhere in northwest Iowa. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice little town, but it's not, not exactly close to anything. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. So you're, you're up there now. You guys are, you guys are 15 and 5 and 6 and 5 in conference. So things are going well. Going, they're going better about a week ago, as we talked about off the air. But I, I wanted to kind of talk about and you, you. This is your first year as head coach. What's going right and what's going wrong for you so far? Um, yeah, like you said, like if you would have talked to me a week ago, I would have said things are going a lot better. We were sitting at 15 and two, um, you know, and we've dropped three straight in the last week. Um, you know, the thing I keep reminding myself, if you would have told me when I got the job that we'd be sitting at 15 and five, um, you know, I, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. Um, you know, but to start the year off, you know, I, I was really lucky with the guys that I inherited, you know, we have, we have some talent and you know, coming out, I I had not seen a group of guys work harder than the guys I have on my team. I would have put them up against anybody in the country, you know, in terms of effort. Um, you know, and one of the one of the things that's difficult is sustaining that effort. And you know, this last week or so, we we've kind of seen a dip and try, trying to figure out what exactly it is that that's the cause of that, and you know how we can fix that going forward is is been kind of the question here. Yeah, and I think it's important. You, you're you're relatively familiar with the conference. You worked at Nebraska Wesleyan, who's top ten in the country and, and undefeated in conference. So I'm kind of curious, and, and we'll dive into your background a little bit. But what when you when you got this job, what was what, what were some of the first things you tried to do? You know, especially being familiar with the conference and, and being familiar with Buena Vista. Like, what what for you the first couple things on your to do list? What were they? Yeah, well, the first thing that I had to do, I had to try and keep this roster together. Um, you know, I'm the third head coach in three years here. Um, you know, so there were a lot of players on our roster that had question marks. Um, you know, especially when they see, you know, a 27-year-old getting hired as the head coach who's never been a head coach. You know, they they had some, some question marks about, you know, what the program was going to look like. So that, for, that first week or so was just, you know, you know, living on the phone, trying to convince these guys, you know, to stick with us. And luckily when you're telling kids that you're going to score 90 points a game and, you know, shoot a million three pointers, um, you know, they, they're happy to do that. Um, but, but like you said, very, I was very familiar with the league, having been at Nebraska Wesleyan, um, you know, so just trying to reach out to, you know, some of the high school coaches in the area, some of the AAU guys uh, that I knew and see if, See if there was anybody, you know, that we could maybe add, you know, later, late in the summer um, to our roster. So just trying to do some of those things and solidify what our team was going to look like. That was, that was the main focus for me. Yeah, and I want to actually get into the story of how that opportunity came about for you and ultimately what the process was overall for you getting the Buena Vista job. Uh, yeah, so... You know, I, I had heard rumors that the, the job was going to come open. Um, you know, I actually heard it from, you know, Coach Wellman back at Nebraska Wesley, and he's pretty well tied in with what's going on in the league. Um, so, you know, I'm just like every other coach in the country, sitting around looking at hoop dirt in the offseason. 
uh, you know, seeing, seeing what's going on and, you know, finally it pops up on there. Um, you know, so sent my stuff in, didn't, didn't hear anything for a little while. Um, you know, get get a call. Uh, they want to do a, do a phone interview. Um, you know, go through that whole process, get the, get the second interview. Um, and I'm all set to fly out to, I guess you got to fly to Omaha cause you know, closest airport to where we're at two hours away. Um, you know, so I fly out or I'm all set to fly out and I get a phone call that, you know, their baseball team made the college world series. So, you know, we've got to push it back. Um, you know, so we put, push back the interview two days. Luckily I was, it actually worked out well. I was planning to go back to Lincoln where I'm from. So I just went and hung out at home for a few days. Um, but flew, drove out here, you know, went through the whole thing. And, you know, it was just a couple of days later after I got back in Baltimore, you know, got the, got the job offer and, you know, pretty soon I'm driving 20 hours out to the middle of Iowa. <laughs> what was the, what was your process of preparation? Like, uh, not just for the particular job or interview, but throughout your young coaching career, have you been a person that's, you know, either put together what people call like their coaching portfolio or coaching profile throughout their different years or tinkering with it? Or was it like, Hey, this is the year this job's open. I'm going to put this thing together, reach out to all these different coaches. What was that process like for you? Yeah. So while I worked at Nebraska Westland, um, you know, I'd kind of, I had put together, you know, what I thought was a good looking portfolio. Um, you know, and I hadn't, I, I was pretty, you know, picky, I guess, when it comes to, you know, what I, what I was looking, looking to do, you know, I was, re, I was an alum of Nebraska Wesleyan and you know, I wasn't in a big hurry to leave. Um, and then, you know, working for coach Leffler, I know he's been a guest. Got to mention him within the first 15 minutes or he gets really upset. So good, good work. Yeah. By you. I, I have a quota for how many times I'm supposed to drop his name today. So we got to make sure we get that. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, but working for him, like, he, I told him all the time, like he should have a, a cert, a consulting service for people trying to get, you know, coaching jobs. Um, you know, so he, he was like a cheat code when it came to getting prepared for, for the interview process. Was part of the consulting service that he gives you this quote to give on our podcast. So people can just blow <laughs> his phone up. Cause this, is, this is bad for us. This is, it's hard to keep his ego in check. I think. I'm actually reading this off a text message that he sent. <laughs> yeah, the the service is called Left is Right. Um, that's, <laughs> oh my god, that's good. <laughs> no, I'm a creative guy. Let's just that that's that's creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off at the, for the sake of the joke, but go ahead. Sorry about that. No, I'm all for it. He deserves it. Um, but you know, he he was really great. You know, helping me with putting together. You know a very professional looking portfolio and like, honestly, the, the Buena Vista, you know, job interview was the first, I guess, legitimate interview process I had gone through. Like when I got the job as an assistant at Nebraska Wesley and like Dale, uh, he's a pretty informal guy. Like my job interview, we had dinner at Cheddar's and talked for like 45 minutes. So that's how I got my first coaching job. Um, you know, and then I hadn't, I had known coach Leffler for a little bit, but I flew out and had kind of a, a semi-formal interview with him. So going through this interview process for, for BV was the first time I really had to go through anything like that. Um, so his, you know, him and, you know, coach Q was a, 
was a volunteer assistant we had at Johns Hopkins. You know, those two had a lot of interview experience and just the the advice and, you know, the wisdom that they were able to share, you know, it, it really helped get me ready for that stuff. How about the actual in-person interview? You end up going to Lincoln, like you, you kind of get your, your bearings thrown off a little bit. And, you know, Smalls and I have both had job interviews before. And, you know, your first one that's really important, you kind of psych yourself up. And then your schedule kind of gets, you know, thrown out of whack a little bit. And you're sitting there thinking for a couple couple days. But how about how about on campus, like meeting with the AD and meeting people on campus? Did you feel prepared for that? Because I, I think it can be a little bit daunting for coaches that haven't gone through it before. Yeah, no, it was it was very daunting, and you know because they we had set the flights up beforehand. Um, my flight back was actually scheduled for the Monday that I was interviewing, and it was in the middle of the afternoon. So I was on like an expedited, you know, interview schedule. So I was going for I had like twelve meetings in four hours. Um, so I was just being you know shuttled from place to place. Um, so it was it was a lot to handle. Um, you know, and, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous going through it. Um, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of what I said. It's one of those, one of those things you just start talking, um, you know, and hope you don't say anything too stupid. Um, but it, it ended up going well. Were you surprised? You you mentioned yourself, you got the job at 27. I think you, you sound much older than that, but people should know that you're a very young head coach. Have you been surprised so far since you got the job at the amount of non-basketball work that's been in it? Or have you were you prepared for that at Nebraska Wesleyan and Hopkins? Like, were you allowed to do a lot more of the operational stuff to get you ready for this role? Um, I did some of the operational stuff, uh, you know, more so at Nebraska Wesleyan. You know, Johns Hopkins, they got plenty of resources. So there's a lot of people helping out with that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I was still shocked by the amount of, non-basketball related stuff and i'm still adjusting to having to do all that um that was that was the biggest adjustment by far coming in is just all the little things that go on behind the scenes as an assistant maybe you don't really know you know the head coach is doing that i used to make fun of dale at nebraska wesleyan all the time because he just complained about how many emails he had like now i feel his pain i I get what he's talking about so well i want to say that you know I kind of want to talk about your season thus far. And I know that, like we said, you're you're on a three-game losing streak. First three-game losing streak of your career as a head coach. So we caught you at an interesting time. But you obviously scheduled pretty well out of conference because you were undefeated going into conference play. But, like, can you walk us through a little bit of, like, the highs and lows as a head coach so far? Because it is your first year, so staying balanced is is pretty important. But, you know, I'm sure you felt really good coming out of, out of non-conference, and now you maybe don't feel quite as good you know, how do you stay balanced? How have you stayed balanced throughout the season so far? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been the biggest, you know, learning piece for me personally going through this first year. You know, it's how do you deal with the success and then now this past week, you know, how do you go throughout the day without feel, feeling like the sky is falling? Um, you know, because at times that's what it feels like. You know, you lose you lose one and you don't feel good. You lose three in a week. and you know, it doesn't doesn't feel like you're ever going to win again. Um, you know, but early in the year, you know, like you said, we had a we had a favorable non-conference schedule, uh, which I think you know was great. Being a first-year head coach, trying to put in a new system, um, you know, it gave guys an opportunity to you know learn what we're doing, you know, and build a little bit of trust that what we're doing is going to work. 
Uh, so that was huge for us. Um, you know, we, we had things going really well before the Christmas break. Um, you know, an unfortunate part of the schedule is we had, we had a three and a half week break between games, um, over Christmas. And, you know, the challenge has been, you know, how, how do you manage that length of time, you know, being off and how can you, you know, maintain guys focus? Cause we had to keep them on campus for, you know, seven, eight days after our last game, just cause I couldn't send them home for two weeks with nothing to do. So, you know, trying to figure out ways to keep them engaged, keep them, keep them motivated, you know, going in the right direction. Um, you know, and I don't know, we, we actually talked with the guys today, you know, I don't know if we've ever kind of recaptured what we had before that, that long break, you know, and, and talking with guys and figuring out what that difference has been, you know, especially these last three games over the past week, you know, how do we, how do we get back, you know, to playing with that energy? you know, and that enthusiasm that we showed at the start of the year, um, you know, cause we were, we were actually picked eighth in our league, you know, coming in. And I know that was a big chip on our guy's shoulder. And, you know, that was kind of that carrot that, you know, you could dangle out in front of them to get them to play hard. Um, but, you know, we went six and two the first time through conference, you know, guys, you always have that, those thoughts, you know, creeping in the guys kind of think they've arrived a little bit. Um, so, you know, trying to figure out what it is, what what it is that's going to motivate them you know through the second part of the year uh what keeps them going like what is that carrot that we have to hang out in front of them you know and try try and figure out you know how we can get back to playing like we know we're capable of doing how have you been challenged from the you know the thing we kind of talk about is like one seat over now as a head coach you know you're not suggesting things you're actually making the decisions on the basketball court or, you know, uh, preparing for a game, uh, you think these sets are going to be great or this defensive alignment. How have you adjusted to the decision-making process that goes on, not just prior to the game, but practice planning and then in-game situations? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's been tough. Um, you know, I think that's something as an assistant, you kind of you overlook just exactly how much pressure that is. Because it was it was always easy for me to sit next to Dale or sit next to Josh and just throw out plays. Like if, if they don't work, no one's going to blame me for them. Um, so have, that, have you found rhythm or cadence though? When uh, now that you're calling sets, is there? I can imagine. I've never been in that situation. I'm like you, an assistant. Like I'll throw a bunch of shit at the wall, and whatever one you pick, who cares? I hope it works. Then I'll you know I'll be a hero. But have you found like rhythm and cadence? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I mean, we're still running the same offense that I ran at Wesleyan, and we ran a similar offense at at Hopkins. So, you know, a lot of what I was used to looking for and you know calling and for with those two guys, you know, a lot of that has stayed the same. So, you know, I, I feel pretty good about you know calling stuff out and you know late game stuff, drawing drawing things up based on what we're seeing and how they're guarding. And the main reason is I've just been watching people guard this offense for, you know, six years now. Um, so that, that's been a huge benefit, just having that, you know, continuity with what I'm used to calling and just continuing that on. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that is a huge benefit, just knowing your offense, how different people guard it or adjust to it uh, to be able to make those decisions. I want to ask you a little bit about recruiting. You mentioned 
you know, getting guys on the phone, calling guys late. Once you got the job, how have you settled into your recruiting, uh, you know, in your first year and looking to the future to build the program with players and continue this, this success that you've had? Um, yeah, I mean, recruiting, recruiting is obviously, you know, one of the biggest pieces and, you know, I wish I had a clear answer for you. And it, you know, it's kind of, kind of learning on the fly here, exactly what's going to work, you know, at BV, you know, it's a lot different than recruiting at Johns Hopkins where the kids just search you out from all over the country. Um, you know, so, and if you, you look at our roster, like we have kids, obviously we have some kids from Iowa. Um, you know, we got one Nebraska kid, but then there's kids from Las Vegas, you know, Phoenix, Tucson, Florida, uh, you know, we got kids from all over the country. So trying to figure out what exactly, you know, is the pole that get kids to come to BV, you know, and, you know, where's kind of going to be, you know, our pipeline, you know, so trying to figure that out and, you know, figure out how we want to build it has been kind of the greatest challenge. You know, I've, I'm really lucky with the guys I have on staff. Um you know, they have some good connections, especially in the Iowa area. You know, so we're, we're making some, some good progress with, with local guys. Um, you know, so it's trying to, trying to build it up locally and then, you know, see what we can get from around the country, I guess. Yeah, the recruiting piece is super interesting because, like you said, Hopkins, just in the nature of the school itself and all those kind of, you know, schools, like especially like others. I know Hopkins is not in the UAA, but schools like that that, you know, have a national profile and are so good academically, like – you know, you get the best of the best and you're actually able to recruit some kids against like Ivy League schools and stuff. It's it's unbelievable. But for you, just given how large like your kind of recruiting radius is, you know, and I know you're in the middle of the year and I don't know quite, I, I would be curious to hear how you thought about this summer because how do you decide where to use your resources, Trevor? Because like, you're not, like you said, you're, you're about what, two hours from Lincoln. You know, there's definitely some, we've talked about how good we think the ball is in Minnesota. Iowa's pretty good, but you're still, you're probably what, two and a half hours from Des Moines. So, you know, how do you kind of decide? Cause you, you really can't be everywhere. So a lot of guys on that we know on the East coast might just build a list and have a list of, you know, a thousand names and then go to one hoop group event and be able to check off hundred kids. But for you, you probably can't do that, right? You have to be a little bit more intentional. Right. Like we have to be, you know, very selective, you know, especially, you know, when you take into account the budget, you know, and the amount of travel, travel it takes, you know, for us just to get to any event. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, does it, are you able to take a lot of what you learned from Nebraska Wesleyan or, 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 or is it tougher because, you know, you go there and, and we'll get to this eventually, but like, obviously you, you end up coaching on a staff of a team that wins the division three national championship. So that team's in a little bit of a different position, but are you able to kind of take some of those, I guess, recruiting kind of like that recruiting foundation and apply it here? Or is it entirely different just because of the location and, and where the school is right now in terms of its basketball life cycle? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, we've definitely taken some pieces of what, you know, I learned at Nebraska Wesleyan. Um, and incorporated it. But like you said, there's a lot of differences. Like Nebraska Wesleyan's located in Lincoln. You know, it's only a few minutes from the University of Nebraska. So it's in a great college town. Um, you know, and we're we're up at Storm Lake, which is a which is a great town, but you, know, you don't have a major, you know, state university down the road. Um, you know, so just the natural things that come along with that, you know, we don't have we don't have that to offer. 
Um, so we've, we've taken pieces of that. Um, you know, and then like you, like you were talking about, you know, we've had to be very intentional about where the assistants are going, um, you know, trying to establish early contact with kids, you know, engage their actual interest level just because we don't, we can't afford to, you know, send an assistant all the way down to Kansas city to see some kids, you know, and then find out after the weekend that, you know, they're not actually interested in. So it's just doing a lot of that early groundwork, you know, and putting in the time to find out if kids are, you know, willing to come live in, you know, rural Iowa, you know, if that's something they'd be open to. And then, you know, once we find that out and, you know, get to know them a little bit, then we're really going to, you know, start going after them a little bit harder. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. And there is, I, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in like Minneapolis, I'm sure that you can get to, you know, that New York to LA stuff. That's, that's going to be very good with teams in your area. Indianapolis, you obviously probably can go to and in April probably will, but it's also not a matter of sending five people, you know, on staff down there. It doesn't really work that way. I want to talk about you for a second. I know that you're going to brush this off because everybody does, but you're a very good player at Nebraska Wesleyan, but also really good student. Um, somebody who kind of had an opportunity, I guess, medical school was maybe on the table and you decided that wasn't what you wanted to do. Um, I want to go through the thought process of you saying like, hey, I want to be a college basketball coach and, and kind of how that worked with you know, with you and, you know, with your family, because obviously there's people that are like, you know, we want, to use, we want you to use this degree. I think you got a biology degree, right? So, I mean, you were on track, but what, what was the thought process like for you? And what was ultimately the, you know, the kind of the, I guess, what was the catalyst to make the decision to be like, you know what, I want to be a college basketball coach? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was, I was a biology major, like you said, and I just remember it was about sophomore, junior year of college. You know, I had, I had been asked by my former high school coach um, there in Lincoln. You know, they have this, you know, high school tournament Memorial Day weekend every year. He's like, do you want to come back and coach our high school's team? So I started doing that. And that was kind of the first time I'd done any sort of coaching stuff. Um, so I'd, like, we had a month of practice to get ready just for that weekend of games. You know, and I, I fell in love with it just over that weekend. Um, you know, so that the thoughts kind of started creeping in there that that might be something I want to do. Um, I started getting involved with an AAU program in Lincoln and coaching them and helping out in the summer and in the spring a little bit. Um, you know, and then I just found, you know, over the next couple of years, you know, I'd be sitting in, you know, whatever random biology class or organic chemistry. I would just be bored to death. <laughs> I, it, 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 was, it was the worst. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, I hated it. Um, but being a doctor sounded pretty cool at the time. Um, you know, the, the paycheck that doctors bring in, you know, that's enticing to a 19 and 20 year old. Yeah. You don't realize how long it is till you actually get that paycheck though. When you finally do get it, it's good, but you, you, you struggle, you know, you, you go through 10 right. years to earn it for sure. Right. That was the other thing I'm sitting there. Like I have to sit in these classes for six more years. And I, like, it, it didn't sound, it, I knew that wasn't something that was actually going to make me happy. Um, you know, so going into my senior year, I ended up telling my parents, and I still remember we were at some fast food re restaurant. I just asked them to meet me for dinner. Um, and just, we're just having dinner and just out of nowhere, I'm like, yeah, by the way, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. And like the look on their face, they just blankly stared at me. Like just for, I don't know how many years, that's all the, that's, what they had just expected. That's what everybody thought I was going to do. Um, you know, and credit to them. Like they were, they supported me. 
um, you know, and they were, they're the main reason I was able, you know, to make it as far as I have in coaching. Um, cause those first four years at Nebraska Wesleyan, you know, wasn't, wasn't making a lot of money, um, had to rely on some help from, from the parents. And, you know, if, if not for their support, you know, and accepting that, you know, coaching is what I wanted to do, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. Um, and, and now like Lincoln just being a few hours away, you know, they drive up to all the home games. So the support they give is absolutely awesome. And you mentioned something we bring up a lot, you know, on this podcast is those first couple years or several years in a lot of people's cases where you're not making a lot of money and it's really tough. So with that, you know, what advice do you have to young coaches looking to break in where uh, maybe it's difficult to wrangle those opportunities and all your other friends are making a paycheck and they're getting salaried and everything like that. What is your advice to young coaches? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I would say is the thing that helped me the most is just trusting, trusting in yourself and trusting in your gut. You know, there were, because, you know, a lot of my friends, like you said, they're out making money. Um, you know, by the end of my fourth year coaching at Nebraska Wesleyan, so those guys are entering into their residencies and med school. And it's easy to look around and, you know, think like, oh, what could have been if I chose that? Um you know, but I think just trusting that you got into into coaching for a reason, and it's something that you know you love and you wanted to do. I mean, I think when you when you remind yourself of that, you know, and the the rewards you you get from coaching, you know, I think it makes all that worth it. Um, you know, at least at least it has for me. You end up at Wesleyan. You know, you end up working there. You mentioned interviewed at a Chatter's really good uh, place to interview at, but. End up working for a really good team. They were NAI, I think, when you played there, but then moved into what used to be like the Iowa Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, and now it's the American Rivers Conference. But I think I have that right. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're right. Man, that's great. Unbelievable research Nailed. by me. Yeah, journalist. I should I should have gone yeah. to med school. That's how that's how good we are. But, <laughs> so that's a good point by you. So, so you end up yeah, you end awesome. up working on a team. 2018, they win the national title. So let's talk about that. Uh, you played there. You know what it was capable of. You knew the system really well. You recruited those guys. Maybe even played with some of those guys. What was that run like for you as an assistant? And and you know, did it feel like as coaches, everything you did just worked, or did you think like man, or was it really like man, your players are so good that you know they could play through the mistakes that you guys made? Um, I think I think I got to give all the credit to the players. Like, you know, I I think we did a good job. You know myself dale and tyler ackley you know we we kind of brought that team together uh but we had an unbelievable group of guys you know with nate shimonet cooper cook you know jack hiller all ryan garber you know all those guys you know that now unfortunately i have to try and coach again um but you know i mean just to skip ahead a little bit like the last 13 games of that season it we that's when we switched to a zone, you know, kind of for good, and they just run their three-two zone now that nobody can seem to score on. But we we had our SID after the season print off the stats just from the last thirteen games, and as a team we shot something like forty-nine percent from three. We had like three guys who were at sixty percent from three. So it's like you said, I don't know if anything we could have done as coaches could have could have messed anything up when they're shooting the ball that well. Yeah. How did, how did, how was the NCAA tournament? Cause we've talked about the D3 tournament and how quick it is. 
it feels a lot quicker, obviously, than what people are familiar with with the Division One tournament. You're turning around, you're playing back to back or every other day, and then a little break, and then traveling around. What was that like for you guys? How did you stay grounded and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it it's really quick, like you said, the turnarounds. You know, not not a lot of time to prep. Um, you know, the the nice thing is, like, we had a really motivated group of guys. You know, that team finished 30-3, and three, but we actually weren't in the top 25 once throughout the course of the entire season and then ended up being number one at the end of the year. Um, you know, so our guys were playing with an enormous chip from, you know, they just felt they were getting, you know, disrespected throughout the year. So they, they were on a mission to just prove everybody wrong. Um, you know, with those quick turnarounds, the, the second weekend we had to go up to Wisconsin-Platteville, um, you know, unbelievable program you know that's one of, one of my favorite games of all time you know we end up winning on a shot with about three seconds left in a sold out gym you know but then we have to turn around and play the number one team in the country you know in Whitman the next night and you scored a hundred you scored 130 points 130 we you put up in regulation on the number one team in the country yeah that was I mean that like for our guys like that was kind of the coming out party, I guess, for Nebraska West because, you know, all season people weren't giving us much of a chance. And then you come out and do that to the number one team in the country, you know, that kind of kind of makes a statement and catches people. It's kind of shocking to see numbers like that. Uh, you know, it was I mean, it was shocking as a coach. You don't expect to beat the number one team in the country by 40. You're just sitting on the bench. I, I remember sitting on the bench talking to Dale. Like we're up 30 with like eight minutes left and we're both talking to each other. Like, is there a way we can lose this? <laughs> if we take the 30 second shot clock violation every time, I'm pretty sure we can't lose it. Right. We were just trying to find every way to make sure we didn't somehow blow that. Um, and then you go, you go to the final four, you win, you beat, uh, God, I have it in front of me. Springfield, you beat in overtime, kind of outlast them, end up winning by 12. And then, turn around the next day, play Wisconsin Oshkosh and, and win 78-72. And like you said, all of a sudden, you know, then you're in Salem, Virginia, and you're the national champions, and it happens in a span of like 48 hours. It's got to be a, a really crazy good feeling, but then you just get back on the bus and you're you're trying to figure out how to do it all over again, right? Right. Like it, it's just a whirlwind. Like I was, My assistant was actually just asking me about this last week. He's like, what was, what was that weekend like? And... I sat there and was trying to think. I'm like, I was like, honestly, Zach, I don't remember. I was like, I don't, rem- I don't, I don't remember anything I did the day of the national title. I know we went to get a pregame meal, but I can't, I can't name a single other thing I did that day. It was just such a blur because things are going so fast. Um, but yeah, it, you get you get back on on the bus the next day, and you know, I don't, I don't really remember when reality kind of set in that we had done it. But you get back to Lincoln and you're like, well, now, now there's expectations, you know, now, now that target's going to be on our back and you kind of start to think about how, how can we keep this thing rolling in the right direction? I should say shout out to your other, your former assistant buddy, Tyler Ackley. I think he's on staff at Colby now and they're uh, 18 yeah. and one. They just, they were SWAT is still undefeated, although they're in a dog fight right now, according to smalls, but, uh, Colby was the second to last undefeated team in the country. I think they were, I think they're fourth. They're ranked fourth overall right now. So he's uh, making it happen over on the East coast now too. 
Yeah, I got the D3 hoops ticker. It's like the stock market running through uh, <laughs> right now. We got, you know, SWAT down, but if you buy them right now, I guarantee you're getting a little eight-point bump. I got to ask how you. Was, how, go ahead. I was just going to ask, how, how's Hopkins doing? I got to. Uh, they're they were, we they're up three at halftime against Dickinson. See, this is, uh, you know, this best is my, friend. This is my next Leffler mention right here. I yeah, Le- Leffler, they're I, you know, I was due. Group chat, you know, rivalry with Soretti. They know each other. Uh, the line was a lot tighter, but uh, they're up three at halftime right now. Uh, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out by the end of this podcast where that's going. And then we can maybe throw in another Leffler mention. Maybe we don't even have to. I got to ask you straight out. I talked to Abe about this, was really curious. Um, but I got a little different twist on it now. Why are Midwest players so good and yet so under-recruited? Out in the Midwest, that's a good question. Oh, that, that is a really good question. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, that's good coming from you, Tyler. I think he's being a smartass, but I know you're a genuine and you're a very smart man. So there you go. <laughs> but, but you, but you're forgetting. I I love recruiting. Like I think it's the most interesting thing. Like evaluating guys. Like why guys get lost or under the radar. Why East Coast schools don't think they should go to the Midwest where there's less schools recruiting kids. Like. I've always thought that's crazy, but anyway, sorry, go on. I think it, a lot of it has to do with, I mean, I think a lot of it's historical. Like there just haven't been a lot of high, really high level players coming out of some of the Midwest states. Like I think just last week, Nebraska got its first ever five-star recruit, like, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. never had one in history. Um, you know, and I just think it's really easy for those teams to fly under the radar you know, even the AAU teams now, they're get, they're starting to get some more on the the you know gauntlet circuit and EYBL and stuff like that, like OSA out of Omaha. Um, but for for a long time, like there was just one AAU team in Nebraska, and it was the Bison program. And the only time they would leave Nebraska is to go play out in Las Vegas once a year. So there's just not a history of those teams going out. Um, so there, there may not be as many connections to the Midwest, but now recently, you know, it's at least for the, the kids I'm really familiar with in the, you know, the Iowa and Des Moines, Omaha areas, like this past year, there's, it seems like there has been some of that more national attention. You know, there's a, there's a kid that I know from Omaha, he's going out to Stanford. And, and so I think some of that recognition is coming, but I think a lot of it just has to do historically, there hasn't been as many you know, high level kids coming from this area. Yeah. I just think there's so many talented, like if you, the D three programs, the Div- division two programs, you know, in the Midwest, they're consistently to me, I, I know the Amherst, the world and stuff like that. And people can argue with me about this, but those are the teams that are consistently getting to the final for the elite eight, the majority of teams that are advancing, you watch teams like that and those players can flat out play. So I just am always curious that if I'm an NEC or, or not a, take conferences out of it, I'm a Division One guy. I think there's some Division Three guys that are going to the Midwest schools, Division Three that should be Division One, and those guys should be taking a look because those that's where the talent is. That's where the talented players are. It's funny just how that hasn't um, moved with technology. As technology's moved, you think the world would shrink more and you see more division one or high level division two recruiting out here, but you still don't. And it, it just puzzles me. And that's, that's why there's continued success. And, 
like your conference, one of the best conferences, and you got St. Thomas and Wisconsin Platteville that we mentioned. So I don't know. It's just one of those tangents that I like to go on and throw out to my Midwest folks. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm always very biased. I mean, in favor of the Midwest schools. I, I would argue with those guys at Hopkins about that last year, like how good I thought the Midwest teams were. Here, here's a follow-up to Do you think there's something in the teaching of basketball as a youth or – you know, how it's conveyed or played uh, that makes those players a little different? I think there are very different styles of play. Like, you know, going out to the East Coast last year, just watching a lot of the guys, you know, that we'd scout or, you know, just watching East Coast teams. Like, it just seems like there's a lot more, you know, dribble drive type stuff. Uh, And, you know, you come out to like our conference, there's there's very little dribble drive. It's all motion based concepts, and there's just a bunch of shooters everywhere. Um, you know, I could, I and I mean, granted, I was only on the East Coast for one year working at Hopkins. Like I just felt like the amount of shooting we had to worry about wasn't nearly as high, but we couldn't like trying to keep people in front of you was a nightmare. Uh, so just, I mean, just from my limited time out there, you know, that was one thing that I that I noticed. Um, you know, just a lot more shooting, you know, is, is what things seem to be based on out here. Yeah. And I think too, just the, if you look at like the impact of the good Midwest college teams, you know, they were always very set oriented, you know, your, your Michigan States your Wisconsin. Like I knew for a while, like if you saw a team from Wisconsin, that was like not a sneaker team, they, they were like running the swing in like 2009, which seems insane, but like, right. that's what high school basketball was out there. Like my uncle was a high school basketball coach and everyone they played ran in the swing. And I think that that's, you know, you've got people to learn from like Bobby Knight and like Jed Heathcott and those guys out there. And I think they ran a ton of sets. And I think that's a big part of why Midwest basketball is maybe a, like you said, small is a bit more is taught a little bit differently. Like guys seem to be much more, you know, I would say like more fundamentally sound, maybe, you know, and just as skilled, but also really good shooters. And I, I think you don't, you know, you, you see a ton of guards on the East Coast, like they can get to the rim at will. And then when all of a sudden they go, somebody goes zone or plays them to the foul line, can't make a shot. And I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I have one last question and then we'll, we'll do some segments. But, you know, for you as a D3 coach, especially in the summer in the Midwest, you know, what did you kind of do as an assistant to – not, I don't know, like build your network and also keep like learning the game. Like what, what were some of the things that you did over the summer, maybe when you weren't recruiting that, that kind of helped you grow as an assistant and, and get you ready to be a head coach? Right. Um, you know, I worked, I worked some camps, you know, part of it, you know, Dale kept us really busy at Nebraska Westland. Like he, we ran like six camps a year in Lincoln. Um, so I, I was pretty busy. I was pretty busy with that. Like I've gone down and worked the Florida camp, um, you know, working at snow Valley camp out in the Midwest. Um, I was just doing stuff like that. And then, you know, for a couple of years while I was an assistant, I continued to help out with the AAU program um, when I had time. So, you know, just making connections like that, you know, and trying to network as much as possible. You know, those, those are just a couple of the things that I did. All right. Awesome. Uh, let's go to coach speak smalls. You got this quote real short. It's the first anonymous quote that I've done. I, I took this from uh Saw this on Twitter. I took it from Phil Beckner's Twitter. He's a he's a player development guy. Most notably, works out Damian Lillard. But 
he uh, posted a picture of this quote and said he was in a gym. He was in a PE class and saw this written on a whiteboard. And I, I wanted to talk to a coach about it. And Trevor, you happened to be the next coach that we were interviewing. So you get to break it down. But Smalls, super short, easy quote for you. Take it away. Yeah, no doubt this is from Josh Leffler. That's another mention. You better start saving up for the things that money can't buy. You got to break this down for us. All right. That, that does sound like it might be one of his quotes of the day before practice. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, uh, I think, you know, wh- whoever said this, you know, it's making sure that we take time, you know, and invest you know, and things like relationships and, you know, the other stuff in our lives that brings us happiness. Um, you know, I think the big, the big one, when I hear that, you know, is relationships because, you know, if you, if you spend all your time focusing on, you know, making money or, you know, if we don't focus on anything as coaches outside of basketball, you know, those, those people that are close to us, you know, our friends, family, you know, whatever, you know, those relationships are going to suffer. And then, you know, there's going to come a time when we don't have basketball, you know, and if, if we haven't invested in any of that stuff, you know, I don't, I don't think those relationships aren't going to be there, you know, when we, when we need them the most, when, you know, when basketball is done or, you know, we move on to the next thing. So but that, that's kind of what I think of when I hear that quote. That's pretty good off the top of your head. That's a, that's a pretty good answer rather than like, oh, man, you need to make sure you give 100% effort every day, which would have been another good uh, coach speak cliche. Uh, it's funny you mentioned, you mentioned relationships. The next quote I have is uh, it's from Eric Musselman, and it's a little bit about uh, when I was an assistant in college at LSU and Arizona State, I felt like we had 13 players that were eligible to play every night, and I kept saying to myself, why? Because after every game, even when we won, there's like four guys unhappy because they aren't playing parents are unhappy and AAU coaches are unhappy. And I kind of wanted to just dive in quickly to now that you're the head coach, you get to answer a lot of questions about playing time, all the questions, whereas an assistant, you kind of are trying to keep guys level. You know, how have you tried to make sure that you've built trust with guys so they, they are okay with if maybe they aren't playing as many minutes or they aren't getting as many shots as they want? You know, you're, you're very early on in your coaching career. This is a very tough thing. How has it gone for you so far this year? Uh, it's been, it's gone well for the most part. Like there, there's definitely been conversations with guys, you know, about amount of shots and minutes. Um, you know, and, and you're right. It is one of the toughest things being in my first year. Um, you know, for me, you know, the way we do a lot of our stuff based on statistics. So I, you know, they say numbers never lie. You know, there's coach speak for you. Um, you know, so, you know, I rely a lot on the numbers um, and talk, talking to guys, you know, making it making it clear to guys that, you know, we want the best as a staff. We want the best for the team and the best for them. Um, you know, I actually talked to it about talk to my guys about it today, you know, before practice. You know, I'm not I want guys to understand that, you know, I don't know any coach who's ever made substitutions or, you know, personnel decisions you know, with the intention of, you know, trying to hurt our chances of winning. Like we're, we're, we're doing, we're doing everything we can to try and, you know, find a way to put the team in a position to be successful. Um, so, you know, and along with that, you know, a lot of it goes into, you know, making sure you have a good relationship with guys and, you know, that they, when I say that I'm doing what's best for the team, they're in a position to trust that I am, that I am actually doing that. 
Um, you know, one of the things in the first year, like I've, I've been really happy with the relationship I've been able to build with the guys, but that was kind of one of the question marks coming in is how do you make that change from, you know, head coach to assist or assistant to head coach, you know, and how, how did those relationships change? Um, you know, but I've, I've been happy with how that's gone so far. And, you know, those relationships have made those conversations a lot easier. All right. We're moving on to our next segment. We've got city review and we're, you know, we're going out to the Midwest area. You're not going to take us to storm Lake, although I really do because it's such a badass name. Uh, <laughs> sounds like it's in a horror movie, some kind of film. I love the name Storm Lake, so I'm going to say it one more time, Storm Lake. But you're actually taking us to Lincoln, Nebraska. I've never been to Nebraska, but I want to experience Nebraska. Make me experience Nebraska with three restaurants, two night spots or bars, and one activity. Uh, I mean, that's, I, could, I could list a ton of restaurants. I mean, Lincoln's where I lived for the first 26 years of my life. So I got I got lo- long list of places to go. Uh, you know, the first one for anyone from Nebraska, you have to mention Runza. Um, you know, it's a fast food chain. Um, you know, they're best known. They kind of sell glorified hot pockets with cabbage in them, which sounds terrible. Yeah, it uh, does. Yeah, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not really selling anybody listening on going to Nebraska to get, get food. Um, but they have, they have great cheeseburgers. They have chili and cinnamon rolls, which is a big Midwest thing. Um, you know, the second one, uh, is a place called Laszlo's. It's in downtown Lincoln. Um, you know, they got a little brewery in there it's right next to Pinnacle Bank Arena where the Huskers play, you know, great food, you know, great atmosphere. It's a really good spot. Um, you know, on the third restaurant would have to be Honest Abe's. It's this local burger joint that's, you know, right down the street from Nebraska Wesleyan. So I'd spend a lot of time there when I was, when I was still working there. Um, you know, the, the two night spots, you know, I know I'm going to have some friends that are going to listen to this and they would be really disappointed if I didn't mention the brass rail, the brass um, rail, that's a great, it was the brass rail. It was, I think it was Playboy's number one college bar in like 1953. Oh, gonna that's a, that's that. a, claim there you go. <laughs> that's gotta be still on the marquee there. It's like Playboy 1953. Gotta be. Yeah. There was a there was a big banner hanging inside when when I used to go there. Um, I'm a, I'm a little too old to be hanging around at the Brass Rail these days. Um, but JJ Hooligans, I know you guys love dive bars. Yeah. Uh, JJ Hooligans, you know, you don't really want to touch anything in there. Uh, but but you can go you can go in there on a Sunday and like they allow you to bring in your own food and tall boys are like a dollar fifty. Oh, so you can sit there and watch football. That's a that's a deal. That's a deal. Let me ask you something about um uh, about the dive bar situation here. Are are the people, uh, you know, are, is it like a local crowd who, when outsiders come in, you know, they might throw a dart at your face, or <laughs> are they just gonna walk <laughs> in and be like, straddle up? Why don't you tell me a story? Uh, it's it's Nebraska. Everybody's gonna be really nice to you. Ah, oh, it's awesome. Okay. Great. They'll probably buy, they'll probably buy your dollar fifty tall boy for you. There you go. See, I want I do want to experience Nebraska. I want to go to like a football game. I want to I want to do the whole weekend thing because I I have heard it's a great time, and uh, that's definitely something I'll do on Sunday. 
Smalls, we can go to the riverboat at uh, Council Bluffs, too. We can do Omaha one day and then just cross the river and go to Council Bluffs and go gamble a little bit on the Council Bluffs riverboat, owned by uh, your favorite company, Penn National. Dude, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever anybody wants. Are you kidding me? Nebraska, once in a lifetime, baby. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> What's our one activity in Lincoln, Nebraska, Trev? I mean, I think it's got to be game day. I mean, he said it, game, Husker game day. I know it's only a few times a year, but, I mean, there's nothing like it. When I have a chance, especially being back in the Midwest, I still drive down there, you know, just for the atmosphere. It's, it's unreal. And local local hero Scott Frost is coaching, so it's even more, right? Everyone's real dialed in. Yeah, even though we continue to just win four games every year. Everybody's still <laughs> optimistic. Um, and I and I'd be lying if I I'd be lying if I said me and my friends didn't go to the to the riverboat a couple times. So Yeah, of course. That, yeah, that's a Nebraska activity. Well, like my mom ironically, you know, not to peel back the layers of the uh, onion too far, but like my mom went to Wartburg, which is in your conference, which is very you know, you're one of the few people we've had on the show that wouldn't know anything about Wartburg, but then she taught right. in Council Bluffs. It's actually where my parents met. They taught in Council Bluffs, and she got her master's from Nebraska. So she grew up a uh, corn hunt. She grew, she rooted for Nebraska football, and so like when I was growing up, like Nebraska football was just on TV all the time. I literally thought only thought teams ran the option until like 2002. <laughs> then I realized there were other offenses you could run. Like Eric Crouch was like my hero, and like the late 90s, I thought Eric Crouch was like the greatest football player of all time. I didn't even know there were other. I was like, oh, your quarterback doesn't run. You guys suck. And then I realized the option's not a super viable option. I still believe Eric Crouch is the best quarterback of all time. Right. That's and what I, 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 didn't, I didn't know any, you were allowed to pass anyone but a tight end until like 2005. <laughs> yeah, you only had Wistrom brothers on your team for like an extended yeah, period did. of they time. Did. They just ran a seam route, and like once every 30 plays, we'd throw it to them. Oh, man, it's just so great. People don't know about this, but that's Nebraska football there, Smalls. is the best show oh, in town. Lincoln, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to make from this podcast, I'm going to literally make a top five list of places I have to go next year. I'm going to make it happen. Nebraska's got to be on the top of my list just because it's Nebraska. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I just Any, need to anywhere, go there. anywhere that it's a, a plus is getting a hot. Can I get butter on cabbage? a stage? <laughs> is that like yeah, a real you, thing? You, that's a real thing. If oh, you I'm gonna definitely. I'm gonna get butter. <laughs> I'm gonna get two butters on a stick. Everybody's getting a butter on a stick. I'm gonna walk into ten hooligans, ten butters on a stick. <laughs> you might be the first person to ever put Nebraska on a top five list of places to visit. I just butter on a stick. I can't. I can't believe it. I'm sure it's a. Fa- it's got to be at the fair, right? Deep no, I think butter. it's just everywhere. I assume there's a cart <laughs> on every corner selling butter on a stick. Deep fried butter on a stick. Sure enough, there's a YouTube how-to video. I'm sure the accounts from Nebraska. All right, uh, let's do ten touches. I got the first five. Thirty second rapid fire question and answer. Trevor, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? Oh, uh, funniest person I worked with would have to be. Tyler Ackley. I know we talked about him earlier. Um, he's just unintentionally funny. Like he just he's so deep in the basketball, like he's oblivious to anything else going on in the world, and he'll just say some of the funniest stuff. Um, you know, and I got some really funny guys on my team, but I've had too many funny guys that I've coached to just pick one. All right, fair enough. Uh, what's your worst travel experience? I'm sure you've got a couple. Uh, yeah, I mean, being out here. Um, one one is a recruiting story 
Um, so I, I was re- my very first year coaching. I was recruiting, you know, these two kids, their teammates out in Denver. Um, and we hadn't had a chance to go out and see them yet, you know, just cause of how, cause of distance. I promised them, you know, that I'd come out and see their first round, uh, you know, state tournament game, you know, thinking Denver, well, you know, all the big class schools are in the Denver area. Um, so I, you know, I find out that they're actually playing in Grand Junction, which is on the Utah border. Um, so I, and, uh, I have to drive to Grand Junction, you know, and I decide to leave Lincoln at like 8 PM. I pull into Denver at about 6 AM, sleep in a parking lot for a couple hours, drive the rest of the way through the mountains to Grand Junction watch a game at two in the afternoon. And then I d- turned around and drove back to Lincoln. God, did uh, you get the kids? Yeah. We did not. We didn't get either. Did they appreciate it? <laughs> they did. They, they, they were very kind and, and said, thank you for coming. Was, made it, made, made the whole thing worth it. How many butters then, on a stick did you have during the trip? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't keep you awake. That puts you to sleep. You had a couple before you had to sleep Does in the it? car, so he slept like a baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I always, uh, I always travel. I always travel with a case of case of butter. <laughs> Smart. You just <laughs> stick a stick in. You just pull it out and love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. What uh, if you get a chance to watch TV? What TV show are you binge watching? Uh, I mean, anybody. The people who know me know I'm pretty much always watching The Office. Um, I love that show, uh, but have been watching Succession on HBO lately. That's a good show. High level show makes you think, engages the brain a little bit. A lot of conversation, a lot of bad people too, just terrible humans. But good yeah, show, yeah, really kind of like, like House of Cards. Love that show. Uh, I guess we kind of covered this one. I probably should have changed this once I got the information about you becoming a doctor. But let's assume you didn't go to medical school. If you had to be doing something other than coaching, what would it be? Seeing as how you said you hated classes that would make you become a doctor. Yeah, those, those were the worst. Analytical chemistry, not for me. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I, did, I did think about becoming a teacher at one point. So you know, maybe, maybe something in education. Um, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm honestly not sure what I'd be doing. Usual good answer there. I think a lot of people don't think about it when you you're feel really good about what you're doing, you know? Um, who's the best player you've ever faced or ever had a game plan for? Um, I mean, a long time ago, I got the chance. I played against Harrison Barnes, so I think that would count as the best one I played against. Um, Aim, Ames, he, Iowa, he, Smalls. There's a there's one yeah. for you. Yeah, there's there's he, a he he won that one. Um, uh, game plan for like, I I'm sure the West End guys are going to listen to it. Unfortunately, but I. And I tell the kid he's a scrub all the time. I still talk to him quite a bit. But Nate Shimanis, you know, he's probably one of the front runners for D3 Player of the Year this year. Um, you know, we tried everything we could, um, you know, against him about a week ago and still ended up with 19, 12, and 7 or something ridiculous like that. So, you know, try, trying to figure out how to stop him when he's 6'5", plays point, and shoots 60%. You know, I, don't, I don't have the answers for that one. Smart move by you, a little reverse psychology. You just build him up, build him up. Oh, we can't stop you. And then you throw something crazy at him like a triangle. Too. Just throw him off his game. Nate, we're inside your head. All right, if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Um, 
That's a good question. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing is, I mean, officiating is an easy answer, just the consistency, you know, the freedom of movement stuff. Um, you know, I think we start, you know, pretty much every year it's called really tight and then it just turns into a free for all at the end. Um, you know, so getting that part of the game cleaned up. So the other thing, you know, talk about with, with our coach sometimes is, you know, if we could move the ball, advance the ball at timeouts at the end, that'd be, that'd be something that's pretty useful. Yeah. Make timeouts a little more valuable, excite the game, more coaching, love it, more inventing. Gotta love the more inventing. All right. Best moment as a coach. National championship, um, probably. Yeah. I think the national championships, the easy one. I mean, b- before that, like the thing that always gets overlooked from that run is like, we weren't going to get an at-large bid that year. And in our conference ter- championship game, we were down 18 with eight minutes to go um, and came back and won that game. So that that was pretty cool. I mean, okay. outside, outside why, that. Why were you not going to get Hold on a second. Were you 24 and three going into that game? Yeah. But I guess, I mean, I guess it was just going to be a one bid league that year. Yeah. I mean, up until, you know, we won the national title, that, that league didn't have a lot of national respect so we had we had essentially zero chance of getting an at-large bid up to that point uh, so we were i mean with eight minutes left things were looking pretty pretty dark um we got we got really hot luckily that's that's wild to me that 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 is a great moment because it can literally change everything <laughs> like you don't even get a sniff or a chance to compete in the NCAA tournament, then you end up winning the national championship. Smalls, who did? Who were we talking to about that? Who were we talking with about that? Where he was, he was talking about like Lancaster Bible. Yeah, Lancaster like, Bible was, was twenty. Like, they were like thirty and zero, and if they lost, they weren't going to get a bid. And like you have like one season like that in ten years, and if you lose focus for one day in D three, you don't get a chance to play for the championship. It's like insane. It's crazy. they had a week. They had a week out of conference schedule. I think. Yeah, um, but winning. I mean, yeah. I mean. I know. Yes, I, I don't know. I mean, if you win thirty games in a row, you got to be pretty good, right? Like, yeah, I think in Division Two, it's a little like that, but not as bad as you're indicating. I think uh, most of the time, if you're twenty-four and three or whatever it may be, you're going to make it. But wow, that's wild, shocking. Now, give me your pregame routine. Uh, when we're at home, uh, I sit in my office and watch The Office and drink a White Monster. And so action. That's awesome. You know, that's that's how I get ready until about eight minutes before, then I'll walk upstairs. Now, only one white mo- white monster, right? Do you have a specific yep. office episode that you always watch? Like if if you're let's say you're watching like launch party, right? If you guys win that day, do you end your office episode the next time with launch party, or do you just start wherever you are in the season? Is it just like it just oh, keeps going? Good question. Uh, I have the only one I've reused this year is the one where they play basketball in the warehouse. I mean, one of the greatest episodes there are, there is. Yeah. So, yeah, I had, but for the, for the most part, I usually just let it play. I love it. I love have it. you checked? Have you checked out the uh, the Office Ladies Pod with uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey? It's pretty good, Smalls. I've listened. It's, to it's it. pretty good. I've dabbled. I've I've only listened to about eight episodes. So, um, check that one out. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's 
Yeah, it's it's Pam and Angela, and they're just talking behind the scenes. Yeah, if you have a road trip, they're quick episodes. They're like 45 minutes, and they, they're going in order. So they've done like – I think they've done up to performance review, I think, they just finished. So there's like 30 of them now, I think, and uh, it's pretty funny. It's, it's good stuff. It's like a lot of behind the scenes, like inside baseball type stuff. And they have people like Creed Bratton's been a guest star. Dwight's uh, been on it. Yeah, Jan's been on it. It's good. It's funny. Creed is, Creed is a criminally underrated character. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I almost wish they gave him a little more, though. I, I totally agree, a little more. But when he's eating the, the noodle, everyone's throwing up in that one episode, and then he's eating the noodles. I mean, that is one of the funniest scenes if you go back and watch it. Can't particularly remember the episode. No, the, the best Creed episode is when the cops are there for like the drugs, and he's just when he tries to frame Toby, and he's just sitting in the confessional, oh, yeah. and he's like, "I'm just going to pretend like I'm talking to you guys for a minute." <laughs> I I love the one when he he shows up late to work, and they're pretending to play the murder mystery game. <laughs> he's just like, "There's there's been a murder." And he's like, "All right, give me a minute to get give me a minute to get settled in. I'll be right back," and just takes <laughs> off. Away. <laughs> but he used to he only has scenes like that like once every couple episodes and they're always really good like he is like you know because kevin had a funny scene in every episode you know like oscar was in every episode but like creed you get like one or two scenes like every couple episodes like that that's that's a really good it's funny man what's your favorite and least favorite practice drill easy transition yeah natural <laughs> um i think my favorite one is restrictions um uh my last josh leftward plug i stole it from him um you know and we it's in the half court and it you know we can do whatever we want with it whether it's you know one dribble two dribble limit um you know plus one for offensive rebounds minus points for turnovers you know you can just assign any rule that you want um so i I really like that one and I think it's a popular answer, you know, based on listening to the other episodes. But my least favorite is just rebounding drills. Just always, I'm just always terrified somebody's going to get hurt. There's just guys flying into each other with no, you know, no regard for their body. So that, that'd be my least favorite. Totally agree. What's your best bar barbecue type of game? Um, I mean, if somebody challenged me, I'm going to say I'm the best at all of them, probably. Ooh. Oh. Uh, um, I mean, it's not true, but I'm going to say it. That's just a sure way to get your ass beat at JB whole hands. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Quick way to start a fight down there. Yeah. Uh, probably, probably cornhole or bags, depending where you're from, I guess what you call is that, it. Is, so you guys call it corn. We call it cornhole too. A lot of people call it bag out bags. What any other yeah, call, out there? No cornhole and bags. That's, that's it. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Um, I think I think Josh Merkel mentioned him, but uh, Dale Wellman, I think he'd be a really good one. Uh, yeah, we're tr- we're trying. You you can try to help us with that. He he was unresponsive. Even their strength coach reached out and like DM'd us on Twitter and was like, he'll try to help, but we haven't haven't been able to make it happen. <laughs> I'll I'll talk to him. I'll I'll get him on. He's like an encyclopedia of useless Division Three knowledge, so he'd be interesting. Oh, man. We, him and Smalls and will just go for four hours. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. Um, the other guy, uh, he's actually a high school coach now, um, Kevin Quinlan. He was a volunteer when I was at Hopkins. Um, he's like one of the most interesting. I always told 
left with it. I thought he was the most interesting man in the world. Like he's just, he's just a great dude. You know, he's been at a lot of different levels, seen a lot of different stuff. I think he would have awesome stories. Good, yeah, good recommendations. Uh, the the Hopkins coaching tree, we we got to get that one out there too for sure. But uh, parting shots, same two questions to every guest. Uh, I get the first one. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Um, I think the best advice I've ever been given um, would be, you know, to, you know, to just take chances. Um, you know, when I when I was thinking about taking that job out in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, like it was, it was a difficult decision, obviously going to a great school and great program, you know, it seems like an obvious choice. Um, but, but leaving home, you know, a, a program that had just won a national title, um, you know, the, some people around me, they, they told me you have to be willing to take chances, um, you know, to, to really make this thing work. And obviously going out there really paid off you know, getting to, getting to work for a really good coach and a great program, um, you know, having that name on, on the resume, I think definitely helped, you know, get this job out here at BV. Yeah. Especially in the basketball industry, uh, helps to take some chances and move a little bit. What face to face with your 22 year old self, what are you telling that person? I uh, get a haircut. <laughs> there you go. What was it like a flop floppy look? Uh, what did yeah, you have? It, a bowl was... cut like a Nebraska kid <laughs> I would have? Oh, just put the ball in my head. I got you. That figure. Uh, no, my my best friend had a bowl cut in college, so you're not you're not far off. That's awesome. Uh, That's not good. That's just not no, good. No, it's not it's it's not a good look. It it never was. Um but yeah, I had I had a mop. It was a mess. I mean it was it was just a bad decision and I had it for like eight years and you know, I need, I need better friends because no one ever told me to cut it. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be, that would be the biggest thing. That is the good. That's the most practical advice you can give your 22 year old self. I, I appreciate it. You just want to make sure you look good. You don't want people to look at you and see and be like, that guy's a dope. That was, that was some of the biggest advice we ever got from Fran Dunphy is just, you know, shine your shoes, make sure your suits pressed. like make sure you just don't look like an idiot. If you don't look like an idiot, People are going to take you serious. So I, I, you may think you're, you're joking a little bit, but you know, we'll try to make it serious. We'll do that. There's, yeah, there's no way anybody I was recruiting took me seriously. So <laughs> I, I think, I think it's, I think he was spot on. Like, just don't look like a dope. Oh man. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some time tonight. I know, like you said, kind of in the midst of a three-game losing streak, trying to get out of it, and we I hope we took your mind off of it for a little while because I'm sure you were probably sitting at home in between office episodes wondering how to get back on track but follow them on twitter at bvu underscore basketball and uh trevor best of luck the rest of the way man we're, we're excited to follow you and, and you know keep in touch yeah i appreciate it thank you guys for having me enjoy the podcast all right cool we'll talk soon man